0: This episode for May 14th, lots of things happening in the sports world. Uh, we're going to be talking about the MLB rolling out their plans to return for the September season, uh, the UFC fight night last night, and the NBA reporting a salary cap drop that could see it being below what it was in 2016-2017, and uh, finally an article that we came across uh, for the minor league's future and ways that some of these farm teams and developmental systems will be able to survive kind of no fans and what to expect for their future. First, thing the big thing or the big story is the MLB planning to return in June. Uh, what do you think of it? What do you think of their plans?
1: Uh, yeah, they, it's, I'm glad that they're going to be returning. I'm very happy. I'm, I'm excited to watch uh, my Toronto Blue Jays uh, fight and compete every uh, every summer. So, I'm excited for them to get back. I am worried about all the risks that they are taking because baseball obviously is played with one ball and um, everyone touches it with their bare hands and, and the virus can be passed along very easily. So I'm wondering how they're going to try and um, limit that, um, whether it's um, every play you, you use a new ball or or that sort of thing. I'm not, I'm not sure how they plan to do that. Um, I did hear that they are gonna they will have access to tens and thousands of uh kits, which I'm sure a lot of people in say let's let's say smaller towns and people that really need those um um testing kits, um I'm sure those people aren't gonna quite agree with that because I mean there's people dying out here because they haven't been tested and yet major league baseball will have access to tens and thousands of tests, like to, to a lot of people i have heard that they aren't happy about it but um it does seem to uh it, it's going to happen uh, eventually um they are going to get all the tests that they need and yeah like i said I, i'm excited for them to get to get started it, it is going to be weird for them to go down to a shortened 82 game uh season um but i think that will it, it'll help players because they'll they'll be more healthier they'll be able to to play uh, longer pitchers will be able to pitch longer innings, I am thinking. So it it'll be a very different season that we've ever seen before. But but I'm excited for it.
0: That's a good point you brought up too, that the testing kits, uh well obviously um compared to Canada, the US is a little bit different with their healthcare system where, you know, some states people have said like they had to pay over five hundred dollars just to take a test, whereas in Canada, like, you know, our healthcare is universal. Like everybody's covered. So yeah, I can see how that will ruffle a few feathers. Short season is going to be a lot more interesting. Uh, I think you're going to see different teams make the playoffs this year. Whatever team is able to get hot first, I think you're going to see them potentially uh, make the playoffs. Although it is weird because we do look at the NBA. We do look at the NHL where they do an 82-game schedule. But uh, it just with baseball, it feels like it could be different in the fact that whoever can maintain the longest streaks are most likely to be the playoff team, not necessarily the championship or be in the World Series, but for sure uh, we're going to see new teams in the playoffs this year, I feel like.
1: Yeah, and it'll make every game more valuable um, because in the 162-game season that they usually have, starts in May, um, ends in October. So you have those games in, say, July, August that are kind of like the dog days. Like you're you're playing some some crappy teams some team at the bottom of the barrel. And it's on a Tuesday night. It's, it's not, it's not great for, for the players mentally. It's very tough on them to, to play those dog days kind of games. Uh, But now with the, with the season basically cut in half, every game counts. Like you're going to have to have a well over 500 record to make the playoffs. And you're going to be, have to be playing some damn good baseball.
0: The thing I'm most interested in is that part of their plan to return is the fact that uh, there's no more American League and there's no more National League. It's just teams broken up into three different divisions uh, all playing against each other. And the fact is that there's no more universal DH or designated hitters, Uh which is interesting. I know when we talked off air, we said, you know, it'd be fun to see, you know, there not being any designated hitter, allowing teams just to, you know... Seen managers really having to micromanage because you know you hear a lot of uh, teams when they say when they move over from National League to play an American League team, it's basically like they it's, everything's just automated. Like it's like you don't really about the rotation once you got it, you're good to go. It's just a different picture, but um, you know it, it, there is to the side where some players are excited about their being a DH because it does give that. One open extra roster spot, if you will, for them to make the team.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I completely understand that. I'm I'm a fan personally of uh, pitcher batting because I love to see guys like uh, a couple years ago when Bartolo Colon hit hit his first career home run. How big of a deal that was. Um, I love I love seeing Madison Bumgarner um, hitting dingers. Uh, guys like Marcus Stroman, when he when he played with the Jays um, and, and every once in a while he, when they played the NL, he would get to have an at-bat and um, have, get a couple hits. So I think it's a great storyline. But right now, the, the bigger picture is COVID is um, has changed the whole sports landscape. And this will, like you said before, this will give an extra
0: uh, job to someone that, that might need it. And, you know, the one thing it was that you brought up with COVID and the way that the MLB is kind of handling things, the one thing I only disagree about with return. But they said that if your state or your city will allow you to come play at your home stadium, you're able to do that. Now, I'm not a fan of the idea because when they first brought back bringing back the league is that they were going to choose one or two stadiums in a certain city that the, the conference or the division can play out of and it would really cut down on the cost, but now you'll learn, like, teams might need to travel by plane to get to the next game, and I'm not a huge fan of that because, you know, the more you have to travel or the more that you have to, to, to be in a public place enhances the risk. Secondly, if, uh, you know, say if New York allows the Yankees or the Mets to play, and I'm, say, the, the Detroit Tigers, I'm going to have some fear Going into a city like that, knowing how bad that the coronavirus has been. Um, and even if you look at a city the Toronto Blue Jays, for example, you know, they're, they're saying like they can't use their home stadium and the fact that they have to play in Dunedin in their spring training center. So I feel like a lot of teams, they're, they're, that's kind of the issue going into the summer when uh, play continues.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure members of MLSC and um, and the and the folks down in Dunedin, Florida, are quite happy because I do believe this is um, the their one of their first times playing at the new renovated um, facility down there in Dunedin. So, um, state of the art facility, lots of seats. But yeah, no, I completely understand what you're saying. It, it would be nice if they could be able to play in um, Toronto, but I mean, right now it's just um, about getting them back out there for. Uh, for the MLB executives and um, and baseball fans out there, want to see uh, see some players on the field,
0: and should be exciting. Uh, so for the MLB, they plan to return uh, in July with the spring training starting in mid June. Be interesting to see how things work out again with the shortened season. Uh, I think it'll be a lot more competitive baseball than what we've seen before. Um, you're going to see a lot of teams. That, you know, might have been looking to, like, been sitting at the bottom of the standings, really pushing and uh, trying to get that hot streak early, but only time will wait and see. Moving on now to uh, the UFC and their second fight in eight nights. And uh, honestly, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the card, but uh, it was pretty underwhelming. Um, Some okay fights, but uh, nothing that really stood out. Um, there was a little bit of controversy with the final between Smith and Tajira, where uh, Smith was by well, the third round. You could tell that he was done, but his corner kept sending him out, and there was a lot of concern about you know he was getting beat up. You could tell he didn't; he wasn't in the fight anymore. It's five rounds; they should have called it, but uh, until the ref finally stepped in for in the fifth round, where Smith just was having trouble. Uh, has raised a lot of questions. Did you get a chance to watch any of the fights last night, or any storylines from the from the fights that uh, you noticed? No,
1: unfortunately I didn't get uh, a chance to, to watch some of the fights. Honestly, I, I have a couple of, of close friends and, and family members that do watch um, the UFC, and I, and I did hear a little bit about the controversy that happened, but it was um, not, nothing major that they seemed to say. Um, I've I seen them posting on social media and that sort of things, and um, they do follow UFC closely, but they said that um, the, the fight should have stopped earlier, um, but the refs weren't allowing it, or, or something along those lines.
0: Uh, it was it was a little bit different. Um, when you're watching the fight, you could see that uh, Smith was having some issues. Like he's just like he wasn't defending himself. He came out strong in the first round, but then things went downhill fairly quickly. And you know, I brought up a question about. You know the corner are during the uh, the breaks in between rounds they're able to stop the fight but they never did and you know it becomes about protecting your fighter or your asset you know if you can see that the fighter is is drained he's tired and there's no chance of him coming back then that's kind of where you have to call it and you have to be a good manager and say like okay it's not gonna happen um, one other thing that was brought up though that was uh, that might affect the world of sports but the USC, excuse me, they, um, they're no longer performing in front of fans anymore. And some of the mics had uh, picked up some strong language, if you will, from the corners. And this has raised a question about, you know, when the NHL, NBA, and other sports start to, uh, to, to play again and they have those mics close to the court so you can kind of hear the action better. Uh, will those mics even be there? Because you want to, in some ways, protect the players? Because we, we do know uh, not all of them are calm and uh polite let's say and it is uh raised some questions about you know some things maybe slipping out on national television that before you know you couldn't really hear because of uh, a full stadium of fans
1: yeah i i don't think it's a good idea for for there to be mics on the ground especially in the ufc now if that's what they they kind of want and they're okay with um, fighters swearing and, and that sort of thing, and, and Mike's being able to pick that up loud and clear. Um, if they're okay with that, then fine, no problem. I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with it if they don't have a problem with it. But I mean, if you're if you're the uh, let's say uh, NBA or or NHL where it's more of a um, a family friendly sport, then I would say you probably wouldn't want. Um, a lot of the players to be, to be mic'd up for, for most of the games or, or there to be mics um, on the ground. Now, I do know that there are um, they do have mic people, obviously, um, under the baskets and sometimes even on the sideline if it's a national televised game, but you don't want it all the time because um, that's just going ruin, to ruin the... Uh, what, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? It's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, do more harm than good there's going to be more swear words and um, families won't be bringing their kids to see it. And um, with family-friendly sports and leagues like the NHL and um, NBA, then um, it it could be really detrimental to them.
0: Uh, You know, I I can understand like, and secondly, like, uh, you know, both you and I, we grew up playing sports um, and I know with myself it's pretty competitive. Sometimes when you're in the moment, you kind of forget like where you are and you kind of like some things you've said. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do it because it's an issue that, you know, before sometimes you hear things slip out. Uh, what comes to mind is uh, Drew Doughty of the Los Angeles Kings being sent to the penalty box and this completely losing his mind. And... You know, how that reflected on the league and some of the players. Now, for you to say, like, guys like us, or at least for me anyway, um, it's like I understand it. It's just, you know, it's part of the game. You get intense. You don't really focus on what you're trying to say. But, you know, I think it's another element, too, where you got to think of a lot of the money that you're going to be getting is from advertisement dollars, at least for the next year or so. So, like, how do you protect your brand? How do you protect yourself? How do you protect, say, some players that off the court, you know, they're the nicest guys, but when they get on, um, you know, they get a little bit chippy, a little bit more aggressive. So I think from a branding and PR perspective, it's going to be very interesting to see how the leagues handle this. Um, personally, I think it'd be fun to kind of hear some of the banter and some of the things going on back and forth. And you just, if you're, if you're working the sensors, you have to be prepared for anything. But um, I think it's going to be interesting because, yeah, like you said, like, the NBA, the NHL, they're all geared towards being kind of a family event uh, where, you know, you have like these little kids watching and if all of a sudden they can see their favorite, their athlete just kind of cussing like, no, tomorrow, you know, what could that lead to? And, and maybe even see a drop in revenue dollars.
1: Yeah. Or, or if you do this, if you say you put a, a microphone there um, on the on the ground or, or close to the fighters um, and then use it for social media purposes afterwards like hey listen to what this fighter said in in the second round that sort of thing and and not have it be like a live mic
0: uh just kind of mute them until you actually need them which isn't a bad idea um with the you know looking at the nba and the nhl a little bit easier probably to do this where you just kind of you know just use the mics that are up above, but it's an empty arena, so things... I don't know. It's its interesting. It's something that I didn't really think about with the sports returning, but, you know, having to protect your brand, having to protect uh, your awareness and your athletes and just everything altogether. together. Um, moving on now, but uh, the sort of question of the podcast from last week, where we talked very much in depth about, you know, what will players willing you want to take a take at with, you know a lot of leagues and a lot of teams losing money, would they be willing to kind of make less than what they are? Uh, we put a poll up on Twitter. It was kind of torn 50-50 between players will be open to take the pay cut and players will not be open to the idea. But, however, they may not even get a say with uh, the NBA apparently reporting that there could be a salary uh, cap drop by almost $30 million for the 2020-2021 season. And um, so they may not have to be even willing to do, take a pick a, or they might. Uh, what, what do you what do you think of everything? Uh,
1: well, with the NBA and their um, cap, uh, with their salary dropping million, they're saying. And now this is just a, a report; it's not um, official. Um, one team, uh, the report says one team estimates NBA salary cap could drop by thirty million. Now, this is going to be very interesting uh, with upcoming free agency, and, and, it, and it will affect – it will have an effect on where guys go in free agency and in and, and their decision-making process. And, okay, the money's – I'm not going to be able to get the, the max, that the super max that I wanted. I'm still going to be getting a nice chunk of money, but I'm not going to be getting the super max. Is it really worth going there? Um now, I, as the days go on and, and we start hearing more about this, well, I'll have a better opinion on it. That's, that's kind of my train of thought right now is like this next, uh, next year's free agency or, or sorry, this upcoming free agency is going to be very interesting to see how this salary cap um, situation will affect players' deci- decisions and um, what will come out from, their, um, from different players' camps. Um, and will, will they come out and say, yeah, like if the salary cap didn't drop uh, by 30 mil, then yeah, we would have wanted to go here um, and that sort of thing. But um, like I said, we, we just seen this article right before we, uh, we started recording. So I haven't gotten a chance to do more research on it and, and kind of soak it in. But um, by next episode, we'll, we'll talk more about it and hopefully we'll have more information as well.
0: That is true. Uh, just before we started uh, recording, this was kind of brought up, but it tied in nicely to a big theme about uh, how things they're they're going to be different for a while, especially with uh, the the last episode that we did. We talked about you know possibly there being no fans at any professional sports until twenty twenty three. Because uh, really, the big thing is a lot of leagues are like until there's a vaccine, we really don't want to risk uh, you know our players' health or our uh, people working at the arena, fans, like there's just no point to it to put someone's health at risk. And I think too as well, uh, according to Forbes, that the sports world, at least in North America, is going to be looking to lose up to $20 billion. And, you know, there's a fear of maybe some teams and leagues having to fold because the support maybe wasn't there beforehand. And now more than ever, they're just not a marketable team. So um, some fear kind of there, but it's just, you know, I think the one thing that I could say with the salary cap drop is you might see a lot more players maybe taking a one or two year deal where they can really max out how much they make per year. Instead of seeing like uh, a lot of guys maybe signing four or five years, uh, like a long term deal, it's, it's going to be more of uh, one or two year contracts, even with the NHL, because they haven't said anything yet about the salary cap. Or how much their players will make. But I could see a lot of players now, like these guys that might have taken like the eight-year contracts only trying to to stay with one or two years to make the most they can in case, you know, there's an issue down the road.
1: Yeah, that, that's a really good uh, point that I didn't really think of is that guys will now be t- – will probably be taking those um, bridge deals and, and those shorter deals – uh, those shorter-term deals to, um, and wait until the salary cap gets gets back up again, and and then they'll go for those uh, long-term supermax and max contracts.
0: I think too with this, and uh, while well, we're still on the topic of the NBA, but uh, you know I can see a, a lot of super teams that we've, we've kind of got accustomed to seeing, like uh, the Golden State Warriors, uh, the LA Lakers, or. Yeah, anyway, sorry, just (laughs) my my. mic. But anyway, super teams where you have, like, uh, LeBron and you have, like, AD on one team, I don't think you will see super teams anymore. I don't think teams can afford it because all of a sudden, you know, do you take those three superstars and all of a sudden, you know, you're maxed out, but you still, like, you just don't have the depth anymore. So do you play those guys for a full season, um, playing 40 minutes a game? I know they probably won't complain, but it will – more than ever, you'll see we're in tear where, like uh, with why Leonard, where they'll have him play a couple games and they'll, they'll give him rest. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious to see how teams will do that because I don't see any super teams being built. It's really going to be you maybe have that one star and then you're just building depth around them and you're just hoping for the best.
1: Yeah, and, and I also think what's going to happen is you're going to see more endorsement deals. Um, with the with the players not getting as much money as they would hoped from from their um, respective teams, you're going to start seeing more more shoe deals and, and other ways that the, the players can create income for for them and their families. Um, I, I seen a stat the other day. And now I don't know if this is true or not, but it said that uh, LeBron has made four times the amount of money he's made uh, in the NBA just from endorsements. And it was like a couple billion or, or something like that, which, which I believe, I mean, he's uh, um, one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. And uh, he's been a very good role model for, for kids. And he's been an icon in, in the, in the shoe game and in, in the endorsement game for a while. So, I mean, I, I that's why I see things going. I see more shoe deals. I see more endorsements um, on social media and, and just everywhere, just for some players to recoup some of that, that money they may have lost in the salary cap.
0: I think that's a good point, too, is that you're going to see a lot more players where, you know, they're just happy to play ball. They're not really too concerned about what's happening off the court. Um, But, you know, if you do want to be making like like if you do really want to be making some money, you're going to focus on endorsements. The one thing that you brought up too, where we could see more shoe deals is that would almost make me nervous if I'm a player. And I know that's the way that things are trending. Because if you start like flooding the market with all these different types of shoes, uh, different types of athletes, it can kind of saturate the market to where you know people are just they're not looking at buying shoes. So um, I think you're gonna see I me mean, a lot of NBA players anyway starting to look at going with uh, with other marketing ventures, maybe with restaurants, uh, maybe with uh, even clothing apparel like really shirts. Um, I think it's gonna be interesting because if you're an athlete. Uh, right now, you're going to see a large shift towards people trying to become more marketable off the court. Um, I know with the NHL, you don't really get a lot of athletes that are going out, teaming up with different companies. You know, we hear and see things here and there, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that actually turns out. Because, uh, yeah, for sure, if you ever look at the, the the athletes that have made the most per year, like Conor McGregor, like he makes so much money off fights, how much money does he make off endorsement deals? Like, let's be real here. Like, you're not making $150 million a year from just contracted fights. Like, you're doing a lot more than that.
1: Right, like press conferences, uh, interviews, that sort of thing.
0: For sure. Uh, so moving on now to, uh, to the minor future of the minor leagues. So for this, I know a lot of people, you know, they might say, well, you know, it's like the HL, the, the, the ECHL. Um, even like with the minor league baseball, not a huge deal. It's not going to be missed because everyone's more curious about seeing the best of the best play in the majors. But, uh, you know, it does raise a lot of questions because, you know, uh, with us, we, we lived, well, I lived in Belleville for a bit and we had the Belleville Senators. And, you know, it was a lot of excitement being able to go and to watch some of these future NHLers learn their craft, kind of build on the skills that they have. It's exciting. It's fun, and especially when you're able to go to the games, it's really cool to see some of uh, you know these these young kids coming out and just absolutely blowing about this. But uh, there's a lot of fear now with some of these farmers, Petersons, and, and some of the professionals, about you know will they be able to stay? Will we see some of the smart markets close? And it's been a topic that's been trending now for for a long time. Um, You know, even uh, with one of our first episodes that we did was talking about, you know, the fact that we might see teams in that NHL looking more towards doing uh, youth academies and having them, you know, as practice squads than having these completely different leagues that they're building up from. Um, So we saw an article the other day, though, on Sportsnet that really got us talking about, you know, is there a way of solving this problem or is there a way of fixing this problem?
1: Yeah, and... and it was a very interesting article. I really enjoyed it. And it kind of opened my eyes to say like, there's going to be a lot of leagues that we're not going to be able to see next year. And for the, for the coming years, like a lot of leagues are going to go, go belly up because they just financially, it's just going to, they're going to be taking such a huge hit. Um, AHL, uh, ECHL, uh, MLS even like a lot of these or sorry not MLS um, double double A and triple A baseball teams there was already forty teams that have folded um, because of this COVID nineteen and just because they can't afford to to keep a team especially one that's um, that has an empty stadium Um, right now the like you're talking about the Belleville Senators like when when I heard that like this is going to be detrimental to them especially um, and it hits close. Uh, hits close to home for for you and I because um, we went to go see them. I, I worked for them for the, for their first couple of years, and mm-hmm. with them having and like they were already struggling with attendance before this COVID uh, hit and the season was canceled. So I mean them that they're, they're going to have real financial problems going into to next season and uh, in the following seasons, and it's going to be really hard for a lot of these minor league teams and and semi pro teams to make make that money back. Like, it's going to be extremely hard, and like I said, it's it's a lot of these teams aren't going to make it.
0: Uh, I think, too, like, the big thing that they talked about and the one thing that was kind of mentioned uh, by the Utica comments GM was the fact, you know, that there is a lot of small markets. So you can't really rely on advertising dollars or things like that. But if there's any possibility to make teams survive, you could probably get away with having the arena half full, so saying allow, allowing a 1,000 a to 2,000 fans. Uh, there's also the idea, too, where, you know, if you and people from the same household show up to uh, to the game, and then whenever you get your tickets, they're six feet away, it's all grayed out, so no one's able to sit there. And, you know, there is ways and possibilities of having arenas kind of... Uh, make it so that it can survive or that it can be easy and that if all fans were guaranteed to wear masks, uh, like just small suggestions here and there to make things work. Um, I really don't see minor league teams coming back for the 2020, 2021 season. To me, it just, I, it's just, it's too, too challenging right now um, to make plans. I know with, uh, I follow the Brampton beast of the ECHL very closely and they've already released their schedule for next year. And they're hoping to continue, but uh, realistically until then, and, and just to really uh, echo what Adam Silver has said, but uh, you know, there's no way we could look at having stadiums until there isn't a vaccine and until we can guarantee that everyone showing up can be safe uh, where they don't have to worry about possibly getting the virus, but it's going to be challenging uh, on the other side, though, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, at least in Canada here, um, seeing new sports really like, start to grow, where some of the guys were with, the, uh, with hockey finishing the OHL and the CHL uh, and moving into the ECHL or other uh, pro leagues opting maybe to go to school and playing new sports for the next four years. So I think you, you know, I think the one thing that we also talked about in our last episode is, you know, youth sports and college sports really growing from this, at least in Canada.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, um, I'm now. I'm not sure about. Uh, now I'm not sure about a lot of more players are going to be going to play. Um, the co- going to the college hockey route just because. Um, a lot there's going to be a portion of kids where, say they're in the OHL right now, and say they're a third fourth year player, um, just on the brink of being an overager, and they count on. the the ability for that team to pay for their schooling will will they be able to do that because um, what some people might not know is that once you go into the CHL um, well the OHL at least um, once you're in the OHL you can go to any school you want in uh, Canada and they'll pay for it any college in Canada you can go to and they will pay for it full ride so now how will that affect things can will the league be able to? Will the leagues be able to pay these these players to go to college after they're done their, um, junior hockey career? And and most likely they won't be going to the NHL. Like how will how will that affect things? So there's a lot of logistical things that, um, I'm curious, uh, like what's going to happen with them and will the league release these these types of details? I'm I, I kind of want to get, um, if we can find us someone with that has. Um, junior hockey experience, or or a former OHLer to to come on the podcast and kind of talk about um, their experience with the OHL and, and how how the insides of the league work.
0: That, yeah, that's uh, it's a good point. Um, with the with few of my friends that have played junior hockey, I know that they've said like you know the main focus for them is that kind of when you're done high school is that you really do focus on hockey and allow them up to go and you know, work to make that extra cash to help themselves out. Um, no, I think it is it is an interesting question. Um, but even if say, you know, you're in the OHL, you're going to school, and you're with the team until you're 2021, 20, but you're in a four year program, depending on when you started school, after you're done in the OHL is chillier, anywhere junior hockey, uh, you know, that there still leaves you a two to three years that you're able to play uh, university sports it's not like the NCAA where if you did play in the CHL you know you're, you're not allowed to compete for teams as you are compensated a little bit uh, for playing so you're considered to be more professional than you are amateur but um, I, think, I think that's an interesting question because th- that is a good point we should find someone to come on and uh, talk to us about this
1: yeah I'm sure um, I, I think I have some connections in, in that area so we'll definitely get uh, someone on, on to talk about um, what it was like as a player um, in, in playing junior hockey in the, in the OHL.
0: Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. I just, I do think that if you're going to see, uh, you know, the possibility of, you know, minor leagues closing, um, the opportunities not being right there, the safer route. If you do want to maybe continue professionally as of right now, anyway, uh, to go and uh, apply your craft in school, get your education, And then, you know, down the road, if you're a good player, it doesn't matter where you are, uh, but if you can play and the the team thinks that they can have a spot for you, uh, they're going to take you, no problem. So I think they'll be interesting to see down the road. I do think U sports are going to see it grow a little bit, um, especially, for example, if the CHL, uh, with the WHL, OHL, and HL, they can't compete next season, Uh, maybe a lot of fans going more towards university sports where... Um, you don't really need to have fans there. It's not really profitable to say. It's more or less, uh, you know, at least here in Canada, I wouldn't call college sports the most profitable thing, but I think you'll see um, a lot of local support anyway for teams going forward if we do kind of lose those uh, those teams.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it'd be nice if uh, if say u sports got as big as um ncaa hockey and um where you see tv stations covering the um uh, the frozen four uh division one hockey and um how the the, main, the the big colleges down in the states are like boston college maine and and we had that here with um say like carlton university uh u of t ryerson all, all the big name schools and uh, you get someone like Sportsnet who's been known to cover you sports in the past, um, have them um, do do more games of and cover more games of, uh, of you sports and try to grow the game that way.
0: Part of me almost wishes too that uh, with some of them, it'd be like the OCAA where if you wanted to watch your homeschool when uh, when I was at Loyalist, you know, we could actually go online and watch the games for free and uh, – You know, it was pretty cool. But with the U sports, uh, there's nothing really like that. So, you know, I'm kind of hoping that I get smart coverage. Uh, Sports are great. They're fun to watch. And if we're going to see a loss in minor professional league teams, um, this would be a great way of making up for it. Uh, There's a lot of skill that's kind of hidden there that I think is often overlooked by just the general population. Because, you know, we don't have an easy way of watching. But I think it'll be interesting to see. How that will go if, you know, with what's seen these these minor professional leagues kind of go away for at least the time being. If you'll see an increase, uh, if you'll see maybe a growth in new sports when things do go back to normal, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But that pretty much finishes the episode for today. Thank you, James Jones, for joining me as well. Uh, did you want to plug your Oh uh, Yep, quickly? you can
1: follow me on Twitter at. Jaden G. Jones, J-A-Y-D-E-N, G. Jones, J-O-N-E-S. And on Instagram, at underscore Jaden G. Jones.
0: You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheBrettBlack. And also, we now have an official Twitter account that uh, we're going to be trying to use a little bit more often, and that is at underscore minor leaguers, uh, where you can find us for updates on the podcast, updates on sports and uh, whatnot and for a question of the podcast today kind of going off what we just finished but with seeing the possibility of maybe some minor league organizations or just the minor leagues in total closing do you think there could be a growth in college sports uh, you can let us know on our twitter poll uh once this goes up thank you very much for tuning in